Hey everybody, this is Eric from EFP, November 22nd, 2017. We have a new topic today and a call-in. Let's get the show on the road. So I'm going to do a little segment called From the Rocking Chair. And that's because I got a new one. You can probably hear it. But uh, I got a new chair up in the office and we're going to try doing this from here. So, 5E. This may be a new love affair for me. Um... As I work through new ideas for a West March's style game, I feel that this might be one of my favorite iterations of D&D. And I say it lovingly because I still think AD&D is, is one of my favorite versions. I've always enjoyed it. I always liked what it was. I always liked how it played. And, and that was not my first foray into gaming or D&D. I actually started with first edition and the old hardback books and the box sets. But... Something about 2nd edition, playing with my friends out in Siena Heights, uh, with uh, Andrew and Carl and Mike and Alden and Alex, we really dug deep into what gaming was for us. And because of that, it became my favorite system. So, 5e. This game setting is this perfect amalgamation of indie publishing and first-party publishing. Like, it really... They really polished it. They really gave us a system for narrative storytelling, but still having enough mechanics to run fun uh, tabletop combat. And I have been reading over the DMG, which surprisingly is a useful DMG. Um, I don't know about the rest of you out there, but DMGs and, and players, or sorry, DMGs and game master guides are never what they should be. And the sections usually don't really teach you how to GM and it's hard to teach how to GM with words. I actually think the best way to teach someone the GM is either to have them play in your game, do a short setting, a system setting, uh, session, and then sit down afterwards and talk about it with them. Like, what do they learn? What do they have questions about? Or videos. Uh, Matt Coville does an amazing job. He has a great series. Works from Turtle Rock Studios. And I talked about it briefly in my last episode. But he has a great series on how to GM. I mean, he, he nails it home. And... If you really want to learn how to do it, I think he's a prime example of someone to listen to. Um, and I would love to answer any questions. If you have questions on GMing, call in. I'll, I'll answer however I can. But 5e, the DMG does a really good job of kind of teaching people how to do things. And it gives enough relevant material that it's worth opening it up more than the one time you look through it for inside rule changes. Now, with that said, the other things I've been looking over is Cypher System. Um, I'm a huge fan of Cypher System. Most of you know that. And if you don't, give it a shot. It is a great narrative-styled role-playing system where the GM does not roll dice and is 100% in control of just focusing on telling a good story and the players telling it with them. You have intrusions instead, which award experience if the players decide to accept. Now... With that said, I just got done watching uh, the Jade Colossal short uh, adventure that they did on Geek and Sundry, and that is a Numenera, which is the setting piece that uses Cypher System, their first setting of the weird, I always explain it as kind of, it's a ninth iteration of Earth mixed with like a feeling of more adult version of Final Fantasy. Um, I really do love the setting, and they do a great job. The Cypher System has a lot of optional rules in it. And I've been reading over this as I'm designing stuff for a campaign setting uh, that is like a Pacific Rim meets Ghost in the Shell. I've really been into the cyberpunk stuff again and the transhumanism side of things, but I wanted it for Cypher System. 
and myself and my friend Kelly Dawson have been working on this on and off for over, I think we might be going on our second year now of development. And we're at the point now to where we think we're about ready to start doing beta testing. But we want some optional rules that feel like they are made to drive parts of our setting and our game between pilots and mech, or in our game, hunters and hounds. So we've been looking through the optional rules and ideas of flexing effort in new ways. So I'm going to get into the next part, deeper dive on the rules and, and how to be used the fullest. But we are looking at how you manipulate that stuff to make effort feel like um, bending the boundaries of what a person can do and what a machine can do versus just bending your boundaries and lowering DCs and whatnot. And I'll get into that in the next part. If you've not read the Cypher System rules, especially if you haven't read the optional rules, look through it. They have some great things on how to do hit location by subbing out damage, tactical combat if you want it. It's fantastic. But let's get into the ruler section, and that's the next topic. So in this section, the topic is ruler. And I don't mean that is a ruler of measurement. Well, maybe I do. Kind of do. All right. Ruler is about the concept of how rules are being used. And are you using the measurement to the fullest? Are you bringing the rules that you have read in your game and using them in the best manner for your table? Just because a rule is written one way doesn't mean it's written that way for everybody. Now, what I mean by that is... I just got done playing Cypher Run. Uh, a gentleman in the Cypher Unlimited Discord channel, Beyond Fandom, ran a really fun version of Shadow Run using the Cypher system. And in my research for developing um, the new setting that Kelly and I are working on, we've been trying to pick up as much transhumanism things such as Vert and playing the Cypher Run and so on to see how people are handling things in a cyberpunk style setting. Now, with that said, I'll talk about something he developed um, based on the concept you see in Blade in the Dark, Blades in the Dark, but I first want to talk about effort and the idea of effort in the Cypher system. Now for those who don't play Cypher system, effort is used to do things such as reduce the difficulty of a task or up the damage of an attack and so on. Or sometimes you can use effort to re-roll. And the way that works is, let's say in a normal game you fail a roll. And you're like, oh man, I failed. And like, well, you can retry. It's too high or, or you can't retry. And this, if the GM allows it, you can actually re-roll by blowing a level of effort. Basically stressing yourself. Going, for example, a data search. Oh, I'm trying to find out information on a computer. And you spend this effort because you failed. And you go, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to spend more time. I'm going to dedicate my resources to it. And you spend effort, which blows from your pool points. Kind of that idea of I am physically or mentally taxing myself. But effort can do more. There are some optional rules throughout the Cypher System books and Numenera books where you can use the Cypher System's effort to change how property of a power or how it functions. So let me give you an example. I think the best way to describe this is Avatar Last Airbender. And the way I mean that is when you use one of the elements, there's a lot you can do with it. And those elements allow a player to, you know, make a shield, attack somebody with a whip, attack someone with a flying kick that's made of fire, a punch, a flame wave, so on and so forth. You can use effort to do the same thing. So let's say you have a power that targets a person. 
And because it targets a person, that's all it does. Well, according to this, you can up how you affect people. So just like in all categories, or I should say in all role-playing games, you have areas affect and targets when you cast spells. And we'll use that as the you know kind of universal example. You can take something from being just you to a touch attack to someone near you to a short range burst, which is, you know, maybe it's 15 foot and then short range is 50 foot. And then you can go out to long range. And for each one of those tiers, you step up what you're doing. It costs you a level of effort. So let's say you have a power that attacks one person, but you want it to be able to attack that person and the people immediately around it. You can technically blow a level of effort so it hits everybody. And this is a great way to make a power more flexible than it normally is. Yes, it's only supposed to affect one person, but if I'm a tier four out of six and I really want to blow four levels of effort, or maybe I have five at that point, and affect everybody in long range, because I want to make it a more powerful spell and really tax myself and drain my intellect pool, you can. Now the idea of doing this is pretty awesome. So why couldn't you do this for all magic and all games? Instead of having a fireball that just does a fireball, why not just give that person a flame attack or maybe a flame defense and they can flex that in ways that they see fit, almost reactive. Game that I'm playing right now, we do use it that way and it has been a learning curve for players and it makes me realize I need a table that sits out or a chart that sits out for players to remember you can do this kind of flexing with your power. But I really tell my players, I'm going to use this power, just let me know. And let me know if you want to do something other than what it does, and I'll let you know if it's feasible and what level of effort should be applied. Because as a GM, I'm not rolling dice. Instead, I'm just thinking about what those characters are good at and if what they're doing is feasible for the set piece. And I believe in saying no very rarely. I really like saying yes, but, or yes, and. Because the idea of no is a bad hurdle. And I don't think it does well. Do you? I mean, wouldn't have you ever wanted to hear no in your life? Especially in a hobby that you're having fun. Now, when we played this Cypher run, uh, the Shadowrun version of Cypher System, Beyond Fandom decided he wanted to use flashbacks from Blades in the Dark. And I spoke about that a little earlier. If you don't know what flashbacks are, it's the concept of doing a heist and realizing that all the time you spend sitting around the table doing the prep, the hours and fucking hours of prep, just to do a 15-minute, 20-minute hour run, or maybe it all blows up in your face, becomes such a time-consuming part that there's a better way to do it. And the idea is, when you watch a heist in a movie, there are flashbacks, backs explaining how they did what they did, kind of unwinding and unveiling the magic behind a, their con or their heist or their B&E. And you see this in things like Ocean's Eleven and so on. So the flashback system in Blades in the Dark works that way, and you take stress or strain to do so. So Beyond Phantom was like, man, I should really implement this. And I had been talking about this with Kelly uh, for making a Shadowrun version of Cypher, which was awesome. We got to play this, someone is doing it. But the idea of that part of Shadowrun is very time-consuming. You're already doing a lot of time-consuming stuff, buying gear and doing everything. Why not have this flashback system? Because almost every run you're doing is a heist to a point. So he implemented it, and I'm, I'm going to quickly go over how he does it. So if you play Cypher System, you have X amount of levels of effort you can do. He broke it down to one, uh, zero, one, and two plus. Zero effort is an ordinary action, something simple like, uh, nah, I left the keys in the car that day, um, so they're there still. Don't worry about it. Or I left extra ammo in the trunk, because why wouldn't I? I'm a Shadowrunner. That doesn't cost you anything, and you make a roll. Well, zero, there's no roll. It makes sense. You're just like, I did this. 
those are those hiccups that you kind of forget as a player to do minor, minor stuff. Like, oh, and of course I have zip ties. One effort is complex or unlikely. So this is where you actually have to roll. You blow a level of effort, which costs you points from a pool, expending resources. Those resources are what you use for powers and also where you take damage. And that level of effort could be used for, like, complex saying, no, 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 like, we had to get into this place. I want to do a flashback and set the scene where we are buying fake IDs or sins, and um, I think our people bought janitor uniforms, and that was part of the flashback saying, it makes sense, we would have done that for the run. And then we did, you know, it had that stuff on hand. So, like, a two-plus effort is elaborate action that would involve special or uh, opportunities or complexities or contingencies like no 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 we were ready when we were leaving uh, on the way up through this place we taped off one of the freight elevators saying out of service so people wouldn't follow us down or as quickly and they would think that it really is out of service so we can use it we'll be ready to go we can have it on that floor and that's a pretty big thing so you spend it you make your roll and boom sure enough guess what you have you have that ready for part of your run and oh, instead of trying to prep out Every contingency, you just spend some points and you've done it. So the way they do it in Blades of the Dark, obviously this can get out of control. So what they have you do is decide how you're going to do the job. Do you want to be an E? Do you want to kick the front door down and go in shooting? Um, are you hacking into the place to make you guys you know, seem like you're part of it? So we brought that into it as well, where we decided, you know, in a brief paragraph, three lines, how we want to do this. And if anything was a thin line of that, that helps the GM determine if your effort needs to be a zero, one, or two plus. If, if it's out of the realm of what you said you're going to do. If we said we're going to be an E and sneak in, and he's like, oh man, this is getting ugly. Well, I have a rocket launcher stuffed inside of this, you know, mail cart. I'm like, I don't know, man. You guys said you're being E. Like, you're going to have tools to climb and, and do stuff. I don't see you having a rocket launcher. And you do a flashback for that. Maybe it's a three plus instead of being a two. So this is the idea of how flashbacks work to handle heists and things where contingencies are needed. So question to the audience. Do you think the idea of flashbacks could be used in any game? Is it only good for heists? Can you see it being used in a combat scenario uh, where you actually set up traps? Like I set up traps in this area and lay it down. Can you see it being used in 5e, for example? Maybe of providing advantage and disadvantage or making a role determining if you really did do that using successful skill. Like you go into a place that you guys were having dinner at. Did you have your healer's kit on you? Is this a good way to handle that? What does the player actually have on them versus them writing it all out? Call into the show. Let me know what you think. And speaking of call-ins, let's get into that. I have a call-in here from Sean Kelly from Gaming and BS. We'll talk about it afterward. <laughs> This is Sean from Gaming MBS RPG Podcast. Well, the reason I like 5e is because it's the 500-pound gorilla. So it's been around, I should say, Dungeons & Dragons has been around for quite a long time. And I think 5e is one of the best iterations of the game. It balances enough story, random charts from the old school days, uh, free-flowing theater of the mind, not needing to rely so much on tactical positioning as some of the more recent iterations like 4e. A lot of people and a lot of different players can grok it. Um, so there's enough story there, enough tactical, without being too heavy in either side. Yeah, so I think that's my opinion. This is Sean from Gaming ABS. Thanks for listening. Out. Thanks, Sean, for calling in. Uh, you already know I love your guys' podcast. Another great place if you were a GM or player trying to learn 
how to do what you do, or just really want to hear new ideas on how things should be done. Gaming and BS is fantastic. These guys are out of Wisconsin, fellow podcasters. If you haven't met them, they're always at the local conventions and some of the large ones, but thank you for calling in, Sean. And yeah, I have to agree, man. I was on a 5e fan. I, I didn't want to give D&D another chance after four. I, I, and I gave fourth edition a good run, but 5e, there is something about it. It took those those highlights, those key pieces from every edition I like, repolished them into a new version and really handed me the D&D that I want for this time in my life. And it is the 500-pound gorilla. D&D has always been around. And last generation, last iteration, they weren't doing so well. And they came back strong. And I didn't want to give them a chance. And now I got three books. I won from Iron Jam. And I was like, you know, these have been set on my shelf. I need to look through them. And we talked about the West Marches stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty amazing. And I think this could be something that I could see myself running pretty regularly. Uh, the idea of tactical being a little bit less and more about the narration and the story part of it, I, I do agree with you. I think that is a key element to what is hooking me to 5e. So I find myself less and less wanting crunch and munch and more and more wanting narrative and some rules to help drive that with players. Because what I know is we just got done playing two generations of games, well actually from 3.0 up, that D20 wave era, where everybody wanted a crunch and munch and power game and now we're having to reteach our players and reteach our GMs how to run something that is narrative driven. And they do a good job of holding your hand through this while still giving you rules to do so. But thanks for the call in. And for the rest of you, if you have questions, call into the show, download Anchor app. It's on Android. Hell, I think it's on every device now. Hit the little call in button and we'll get you on the show as well. You like what I'm doing? Like what you hear? You can see my Patreon over at Eric Frankhouse Presents or EFP. And you can find me on Instagram under Eric Frankhouse. Same with Twitter. Got any questions, let me know. But until then, go grab a beer and roll some dice. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.